Welcome to the Nurture Hub Pregnancy and Birth Podcast with your hosts, Shari Lyon and Nicola Lay. Together, we bring over 30 years of experience in working with women and partners through education, breathing, mindfulness, and evidence-based information, and nurturing you through this transformation into motherhood. Join us on this journey as we connect with women and partners, mentoring, supporting, and navigating the ups and downs of becoming parents. Welcome to episode 18, where myself, Nicola Lay, and Shari Lyon have the privilege today to be interviewing a most beautiful private practice midwife. Her name is Mayat Pearson. And before we go into this interview, Shari put in a overall response of 80% of you wanting to know more about home birthing. So this episode couldn't come at a better time. Mayet is the mom of three gorgeous children. She has a master's of midwifery and is a UK educated midwife. Mayet has worked in tertiary hospitals, university lecturing, community midwifery and home and private practice. She is a director of It Takes a Village Midwifery and has trained as a spinning baby's parent educator as well as a hypnobirthing Australia practitioner. With over 16 years working within pregnancy, birth and postnatal care, Mate is passionate about choice, empowerment and positive birth and parenting journeys. Mayet is a th- has a thriving centre that supports families in achieving their best birth holds women at the center of care. She specializes in undisturbed birth, navigating through the system of maternity care to achieve the gold standard of continuity of midwifery care and positive experience. So sit back, enjoy this episode. Shari and I could have talked to Met for a long time. She is inspiring and opens so many new possibilities to birthing your baby at home. So enjoy. So welcome, Mayette. Thank you so much for joining us on the Nurture Hub podcast today. We're super excited to have you on. I'm really happy to be here. Thanks so much, Shari, for giving me the opportunity to come on as a as a midwife um, and talk about, I guess, my experience and, you know, talk about options for, for women and families. So, yeah, thanks to you both for inviting me on. Oh, no, you're welcome. welcome. And I think that's what exactly what you touched on. It's about we want to help women and partners know what the options are mm. and to, just to get that little bit more information that might help to stimulate them to want to look into it more or learn more or at least connect with a midwife like yourself um, to have a chat you know yeah. you about it so would you mind sharing your journey with us and how you became um, such an amazing independent midwife <laughs> Oh, oh, I think all midwives are amazing, first of all. Um, I guess for me, um, it was funny. The time that I actually decided to become a midwife was when my sister-in-law told me, you know what, Maya, you'd make a great midwife. And it hadn't really been on my radar because up until that point, I thought I was going to be a mermaid or... um, (laughs) But I worked for an airline and, um, you know, I loved people and I knew that much, but I hadn't, midwifery was not really on my radar. And then when I uh, started looking into it and realizing 
interesting that actually what it is is um, not what I thought it was. People think about midwifery as a part of nursing um, and that a midwife is just the person that you meet when you go into a hospital and they might look after you for two days. And I think when I looked into it further and I found out that actually midwifery is um, like a professional friend, um, someone that can go on a journey with you um, and pregnancy is full of uh, <laughs> full of emotions and full of feelings and um, full of different experiences and it's a it's an opportunity really to uh, get to know a whole family um, for you know a year or more you know I'm I have some wonderful relationships still with women who gave birth you know seven eight years ago so um, when I found out that actually it's that professional relationship um, and it's evidence-based and it's building community and building family and empowerment, I thought, actually, that's, yeah, that would be amazing. So, um, and then when I started my journey, um, I did my training in the UK. So um, I studied at the University of Manchester. I'm Australian, but I married an Englishman uh, for my sins. Uh, and I lived there <laughs> for 12 years. So I did 12 winters in grey. Um, but, uh, you know, there's a really different philosophy in the UK um, about midwifery. And it's not nursing. And it's standalone. And it's autonomous. And, um, you know, when you get pregnant in the UK, GPs don't want a bar of you. <laughs> they are quite happy to go, oh, you're pregnant, congratulations. Go and see the midwives. They're here on a Thursday or whatever, you know. Um, and so we really had that role, which was autonomous, all-encompassing, you know, looking at every need that a woman might have, assessing, growing with people, um, giving evidence-based choices, really having the woman at the centre. Um, and the philosophy of midwifery is really strong. And I really love that as a female, as a feminist, as a, as a, um, as a woman who grew up with strong women around me. I was like, this is the perfect job for me. But, you know, you learn that in retrospect. And I was born at home, so I'll disclose that before. Um, full disclosure here, I was born at home. So I kind of learned retrospectively, actually, that I was born to do this. That's what it feels like for me. And my grandma was a midwife, and I used to watch her teach childbirth preparation classes and yoga. My grandma. Wow. I know. When I was a little girl, I used to watch them these pregnant families going down the back of her house to the studio and I'm like what does she do with those people in there <laughs> um you know and there was pop-up books with you know babies doing exciting things so I feel like I was born to do this so I did my training over in the UK and I came back to Australia in 2007 I received 103 babies in my three years which is actually quite a lot um uh, now um, that I have taught student midwives, I also know how hard it is to get so many, you know, be so lucky, I guess, and be so blessed to, to receive so many babies for families as a student midwife. And then when I came back to Australia, I decided that I was going to work at a birth centre because that seemed the closest to the natural things that I'd seen in the UK. We have a high home birth rate in the UK. Um, and in the area that I worked at, there was a 30% home birth rate. So you can see that in contrast to what we have in Australia, where it's less than a percent of, of, of um, women have planned home births. Um, and when I came out here, I, I decided I'll try to look into you know, working in a birth centre. That's a happy medium um, between home and um, 
you know, tertiary hospitals, but I found it a real struggle because I, I found women didn't really know their power. They didn't know their choices. Um, they went into birth quite fearful. Um, and I looked after a lot of people on the postnatal ward who were crying and found that um, the birth wasn't that experience for them, that they had had interventions that they didn't know were going to happen, didn't have choices in that. And were asking me as a midwife, what did I do wrong? And I guess that shaped my journey from there on. I thought this, there's something so wrong about um, what we are offering to people and what we do to people and how we support people that they feel that disempowered um, when it should be a time of growth and, um, you know, empowerment for families and I guess then I decided to go and do my master's of midwifery and I uh, did my research on traumatic birth because I wanted to help those families to not have traumatic births or help them work through those um, in the future. And then I studied at university, university for my master's, um, did that research, and then I did university lecturing um, for seven years and alongside that private midwifery. So that's a really long story, as short as I could probably make it. Um, okay, wow. Because I, I met you through, we trained together as, you know, Hypnobirthing Australia practitioners. We were in their first, Melissa's first group. And so not only are you a midwife, you're also a Hypnobirthing Australia practitioner and you're also a Spinning Babies um, practitioner as well, aren't you? Is there any yeah. more hats that you're able to wear? <laughs> there's, there's many other hats that I wear. I'm a mum of three and... Um, I, I have a, I love working with clay, uh, making pottery and things like that. I love uh, alternative music and I dance really hard when everybody's watching as well as nobody's <laughs> watching. <laughs> no, the main ones are midwifery and, and um, being a mom and working with um, women in a, as a hypnobirthing Australia practitioner and also positional things for mums and babies to make their pregnancy more comfortable make their births uh, as easy as they can be so yeah that's the, they're my they're my um areas that i love so it sounds like you didn't really enjoy working in the australian medical system and is that where you then decided to to become an independent midwife that's when i decided to do my masters and to teach the next generation of student midwives that was definitely what um, made me focus on that and that was because ultimately i'm on a postnatal ward with 30 women and it was when i was looking at the women that were there i kind of i struggled on some shifts to actually find a woman that had got through uh, the hospital system unscathed and that was really shocking for me because in the UK, we used to have really good rationale for the interventions that we offered. Um, if you had a cesarean section, it was for a really valid reason. And I found that, you know, we were looking at who didn't have an episiotomy, who didn't have forceps, who didn't have an induction of labor, who didn't have, you know, a cesarean section, who's, who had their baby with them and they weren't in special care nursery. And it was getting to the point where there wasn't a person that was getting through without something. And I thought that was wrong because statistically it's not necessary so yeah that's what drove me to to do my master's and lecture so I thought I can change the world with a whole generation of student midwives I can't do it alone it was, it yeah, was absolutely and I I totally relate to this because I am a pommy I'm from the UK <laughs> and I used to work with lots of pregnant women in the UK and they would have amazing home births like it was fairly normal that I would be you know therapy wise working with these women and then when I came over here 
I was totally kind of taken back at the amount of women that were just planning their C-sections or they had to have intervention. And I was really confused and trying to question it, but they didn't even know the answers to it. So yeah, yeah I can understand that would have been frustrating as a midwife. Mm. I, I think it was, I had culture shock, I think, and I'm Australian. I came back here and I, I didn't realize it was as, um, uh medicalized as as it was i think and then coming back as a midwife because like i said i'd done all my training over there i came back here and i thought wow i understand now breastfeeding rates initiation rates are, are much better here than they are in the uk but the the way we see birth and the way we in you know work with women um and the complex um funding structure the complex private public um, Medicare, state, um, national, that was very complicated as well. So I think that has also influenced who's your gatekeeper? Who do you have to go to to get a Medicare rebate to see a private midwife versus a private obstetrician? You have to see a medical practitioner, you have to see a GP to be able to get a referral to a midwife. And in Australia, GPs, uh, most GPs are quite happy to do pregnancy care as well. So you have conflicting... Um, uh, situations there because you've got three different care providers midwife GP obstetrician so you know do obstetricians want to have midwives leading care I don't know uh, do GPs want to lead care in pregnancy you know some some do so we've got we've got some complexities to our our structure in our um, healthcare system yeah absolutely and you talked about evidence like being um, a, a midwife, like what is, could you share any evidence for us, just for our listeners to, about, I guess, the benefits of choosing a midwifery-led model of care? Yeah, so continuity of midwifery care. So a known midwife throughout pregnancy, birth and the postnatal period reduces the rate of stillbirth, um, uh, reduces the rate of preterm births. Um, women have... Uh, higher satisfaction levels. Um, midwives have higher satisfaction levels. We have lower intervention uh, rates all around. Um, uh, so there's a lot of evidence to support midwifery-led care as that professional friend that's evidence-based. We're required to be evidence-based, but we're also required to support normal physiological birth. So if you want a normal physiological birth, and most women do actually want that, more than 90% of women actually choose uh, physiological or natural birth it's the language we have to look at nobody's normal you know but physiological birth um, then that's the way to achieve that um, because that's our aim and that's our requirement um, as far as the national um, boards that regulate us as well so um, yeah there's a lot of evidence to support midwifery care um, being um, higher breastfeeding rates um, uh, known care provider reduces anxiety uh, and and depression and and reduces isolation and um, increases connection. So those things are all good. And babies weigh um, uh, they're they're more in a normal range as well. And that's probably because of the reduction in preterm births. But um, as far as my own statistics, you know, I I I predominantly do home birth, and that's because for home birth, um, uh, most women find that. They seek me out for that choice. That's why I mainly do home birth. And I, and I also know that in a home birth, it's the only place that you can have an undisturbed physiological birth because the moment you leave your home, 
we change the hormonal um, reward system changes by leaving a place where you know where you feel safe your microbiome is uh, in tune with what is going on in your in your home environment we create babies in our homes we don't create them in hospitals generally I mean you know there's some fertility things that obviously that's the case but we feel safest in our own environment we can create that beautiful environment in that pregnancy in the lead up and condition ourselves to relax in that environment so as soon as you leave your home with the bright lights getting into the car it's less comfortable going into a place driving for however long that's the first intervention um so yeah so i predominantly do home births and we have a really low cesarean section rate i can tell you the three people in the last eight years that have had a cesarean section wow with, yeah wow. Um, and one was for first time mum for breach and they didn't give her any uh, alternative option and that was that and then the other two were VBAC women that chose to have cesarean sections in labour. So uh, I can tell you uh, those stats for cesarean section in inductions of labour, there's been two women that have had induction of labour with me in the last eight years. Um, uh, one of them was for twins and she chose that because her elderly grandfather was um, unwell and she wanted um, him to meet um, her baby um, um, and the other one had a, a heart condition the baby had a heart condition and she accepted a um, intervention um, intervention yes yeah, an intervention an induction of labor for that baby and she hit my birth and she had a beautiful birth in hospital so I can tell you the two inductions of labor and the three cesarean sections um, you know and um, so and that tells natural births were they all, all physiological births yeah, physiological births. There might have been, when I'm looking at my stats, there are a few people who have transferred to hospital. We have a 6% transfer to hospital rate. So 90, 96% uh, have home births and um, we, we manage that as midwives. Um, uh, but there, there's a few that have had, you know, um, you know, long labours and had a forceps birth in hospital, but with, that's within that 6% uh, transfer rate. Wow, that's just... And I just want everyone to really kind of hear those statistics yeah. because we talked a little bit about this with Rachel Reed and what she had mentioned about, you know, here in Australia, us having almost a 43% in, you know, intervention or induction rate for women who are having normal, healthy, uncomplicated pregnancies um, within the hospital. Well, well, I don't know if it was just within the hospital system, but hearing that and what you have just said, we kind of, it, yeah, it, is, it has been in the hospital system. And it. I think with COVID-19 as well, I'm sure you're maybe seeing in a, a bit more of a interest in home birth, but I know I definitely have on my socials. Um, and that's also why I really wanted to bring you on because I did do like a, some stories about home birth because I too am, am a home birth mum. I had my beautiful baby girl at home in water, no vaginal examinations. Like no, my midwife was just just happy to stand back, watch, and be there if I needed. But it was the most amazing and beautiful experience and ecstatic birth I could have ever dreamed of, and. Yeah that's where too for me there as a first time mum though I would have never considered it because I didn't know about it and I didn't know the benefits if someone would have said to me oh you should have a home birth I would have said you're bloody crazy like that's not safe 
you know but listening to you at now yes. and about the statistics like and yeah. I think that's where like I put up a question box and um one of the biggest questions is is home birth safe yeah okay cool well I guess we need to like uh talk about our paradigm and what 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 is our thinking around safety so there is no way uh, of actually having no risk we are humans, we, you know, we hop in a car, there's a risk associated with that. There's getting on an airplane, you know, eating something, you know, that someone else has made, you know, there's a risk, there's risk to, so there's no way of excluding risk. But what we can do by having a known um, expert in physiological birth and pregnancy and the postnatal period is we can reduce and mitigate. And what is a risk to a woman? Is it a physical risk? Is it an emotional, spiritual risk? Um, because like I said, with my traumatic birth research, we've got a 30% PTS symptoms in women in the first three months after birth. Uh, all childbearing women, 30%, that's nearly a third of all women feel trauma related to their birth. And then after that, actually people diagnosed with PTSD, it's a six to 11%. So we have the same PTSD rates in birth as we do in war. So when we're thinking about it from that perspective, we have to look at risk associated with emotional, psychological well-being as well as the physical. So I'm a midwife and I'm an expert in normal. I'm also trained in midwifery emergencies. So postpartum hemorrhage, shoulder dystocia, neonatal resuscitation, maternal collapse. You know, there's a multitude of things that I'm trained in. And if you're in a hospital, your midwives will be your first line um, attendants anyway. So they, we will be the pe people that assess, pick up on and start, you know, working with those emergencies if there was one. So I don't create emergencies. And we know when we're looking at that induction of labor rate, first time mums have a nearly 50% induction of labor rate in this country. And what happens with an induction of labor? What's the impact of syntocinone? in an IV um, drip where a woman can't mobilize and move. She's there before she's in active labor. So people are watching her and assessing her and not giving her as much time as she probably would. The baby doesn't have much time in between to actually recover from surges if they were created from the brain, as you know, from Sarah Buckley's um, discussion uh, than you do if you have an IV drip. So we are creating problems. Um, so I don't have to fix any problems because I don't create them at home, you know. Um, we have healthy, low-risk women, and I'm assessing you. Uh, I'm a professional friend, but I'm also assessing people. I'm assessing them throughout their whole pregnancy, every interaction we have. You know, I'm reassuring them, making things safe, but I'm also assessing you to see are you a good candidate? Is everything still normal um, or do we need involvement with other people? That's my job is to, to discuss, consult, refer as needed. So we can trust midwives who have gone, I've done, I've done six years training at university. I've done additional training in prescribing diagnostics and screening. We can write referrals out for ultrasounds. We can write pathology out for bloods. We can prepare people for birth in a holistic way and if you're a good candidate for a home birth which most people are most women are first time mums included second third you know if you're 30 you know 35 years of age 20 years of age you know i i 
I always am amazed at why people choose home birth in their first, because it's like you said, Shari, there's people that say, oh, maybe for your second, you don't know about you, but you know what's most important? The first birth is most important because if you have those interventions and you create those problems and you come out with a cesarean section, which is more than 32% in Australia, so about a third of all women have major abdominal surgery related to their birth, um, that shapes your choices in the future. And people will look at you in a different way and give you less options. They shouldn't, but they do. Um, so I think the first birth is so important. And, yeah, it's safe because you have um, a, a midwife that's assessing you. <laughs> that sounds like a rumor, but, um, yeah, we're assessing you. And at any point, you know, if home birth isn't the best option, then I will say home birth is not the best option. We need to adapt here. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think that's the thing a lot of people don't realise. You know, a lot of things do have to line up to to be able to birth at, at home. And when I was when I shared with friends and stuff, they were like, Well, you know, what if what if something happens? And I think that's also like the one of the main questions that I found when I put up like the question box was yeah. that, you know, what if baby does get stuck or needs assistance coming out what mm. if the baby comes out and isn't breathing you know mm. what happens that honestly that they it were the main questions whether what if something happens you know if you're at home then you don't have all of the um you know the machines and the doctors and that there that can can be there straight away so would you yeah. mind answering that question for our listeners Sure, of course, yeah. And I think I think it goes back to what you said about the machines. Uh, we trust the machines, don't we? We right. trust that if we've got all the technology and the high-tech stuff and the things that go bing, that we're safe. And it's actually, um, it's not necessarily safe. What is safe, I think, is what we have to go back to what is risk and what is safe. So at a home birth, we always have two... Um, expert midwives at a home birth and we usually say that in in the sense that we have one for the mum one for the baby and truly the most of the time when we're at home births it looks like we're not doing anything but we are ready and we're prepared at all births to do something as needed so we don't come with nothing we don't come with a stick for you to chew on and hope for the best you know we bring stuff we bring some real heavy kit you know so i bring oxygen to every birth we bring maternal resuscitation neonatal resuscitation bag and mask things for suctioning the baby's mouth out we use our hands uh, for working with postpartum hemorrhage we can um, empty somebody's bladder which could be the reason that the the hemorrhage is occurring we can suture which could be a reason that the hemorrhage is um, occurring um, we bring medications so we bring um, I bring three different kinds of medications Sintosan, Sintometra and Mesoprostol they're all for bleeding um, do I use them all the time no I don't need to um, but again remember the hormonal aspects so if I'm not making someone feel scared with my language or with my um, coach pushing or getting them into be in certain positions or putting syntosan up which creates um, a more a higher likelihood of postpartum hemorrhage because we're using up all our oxytocin receptors with synthetic oxytocin I'm not creating a problem but I'm there to treat um, problems as needed so resuscitation we resuscitate babies still attached to the umbilical cord so that they have their oxygenated blood supply to help us and actually um, all if I was ever going to want to resuscitate any human, it would be a baby. And I know that that feels very scary for other people, but for a midwife, babies are 
the easiest to resuscitate because all they need generally is they need to go, <sighs> okay, I'm alive. You know, they just need that inflation of their lungs and then they're pretty good. Give me a baby any day, then an old drunk man that's choked on his own vomit <laughs> and has got a heart issue, you know. I'd much rather give the baby a few breaths and reassure that woman in that moment that actually this baby is fine and look at the neutral airway and help that baby, you know. So I don't bring fear to a birth space, but I bring my experience, I bring my hands. I bring my medication, I bring oxygen, I bring resuscitation equipment. We don't come with nothing. So I think that's something that people probably would like to know. And I've, I've even shown my birth kit. Like I've done a little video of my birth kit so I can see this is all the stuff we carry, you know, so as well as a pool, you know, water births um, um, make things better as well in lots of cases. I don't know about you, obviously you'd have your own ideas of this, but when you say I've helped many women get ready to have a home birth with this mindset and using yeah. that. But often when you say to someone, oh, they're having a home birth, oh, it's all that hippie stuff. <laughs> so you must get, you know, tarnished with that label of, oh, you must be the hippie midwife. Very unsafe, you know. <laughs> I mean, people feel all sorts of things. They just don't know me. That's the thing, you know. I, 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 I don't think I look like a hippie. I don't think I act like a hippie. We're all a ball of hypocrisy. I have evidence and research is like my favorite thing. Um, it's like Rachel Reed, you know. She was she did home births as well. Like so, we are evidence based. I do love a little bit of, you know, I love a little bit of uh, jasmine. <laughs> you know, it smells good. Um, and I, but for me, it's not hippie. It's like, actually, this is physiology that we're talking about here. We're talking about how do I not, uh, how do I work with the body, the mum and the baby's bodies most efficiently? How do we prepare them so that they don't have tension, so they're not holding themselves rigidly with fear on alert, looking at me going, uh, you know, I can't, I can't, I, you know, like it doesn't work as well than when someone has had an hour, an hour and a half appointment with me, you know, every month, then every fortnight, then every week. We know each other deeply. I know if I was Shari's midwife, for example, I would go, this is not like Shari. Um, I'm going to pick up on this before it becomes a big problem. I will see that that's not normal for her. So for me, it's, it's yes, there's an element of intuition, but that comes with experience. It's not hippie. It's, um, yeah, it's physiology. It's physiology. <laughs> yeah. And ultimately, it's just other people's fear of what could be, isn't it? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And look around you. Like if you're talking to people, if people are talking to pregnant women, are they telling them how great their births were? Are they telling them how they had, you know, just the wonderful experience? Or are they telling them how awful it was and yet they're saying home birth's not safe? Yes. That's right. You know? yeah. so. That's the thing. That's one of the things I actually did say on my stories, like that – they need to stop listening to other people who are totally uneducated, know nothing about home birth, know nothing about, and look, this, I'm sorry, doctors and obstetricians are sometimes one of those people that they don't really know because mm. they work in, in the system. And to actually source out a midwife like yourself to have this kind of conversation. So you're, you're filtering out the stigma, the, the people that are just trying to put fear into you, mm -hmm. telling you it's not safe and actually do the research yourself. Yeah. And I just, I love what you've shared so far just about yeah, the evidence brilliant. because it, it, 
there's evidence that that proves that this is safe. This is what's best for women. And it's just so frustrating that this country, along with many others, um, you know, Australia is just so far behind in in supporting home birth and giving it as an option. And that's where like one of the other main question was, is it came down to cost and, and price. And a lot of women want to do home birth or want to have a home birth, but they say that they maybe can't afford home birth. And it's just not right that women are being forced to go through, I guess, a system that they maybe don't want to because of their financial situation. And, um, but, could you give any advice to, to mums maybe looking into a home birth, maybe what to expect um, financially at the moment in this country? Yeah, I mean, finances shouldn't be a barrier to anyone having the right to choose, right? So that's my fundamental belief. Um, in Queensland, there is no publicly funded home birth. Um, so all other states have a publicly funded home birth um, set up except Queensland um, and that's where I'm based I work in Queensland so um, but <laughs> publicly funded home birth you know we look at a birth center that's attached to a tertiary hospital do they have better outcomes they might have slightly better outcomes as far as lower interventions um, but what I found with publicly funded home birth is that you can quite easily get risked out of a home birth if you're in a publicly funded home birth because they have quite rigid um, structures. So if you're over hundred kilos, you're out. Um, if you've had a baby that's over four point, you know, whatever kilos previously, you're, you're, you're out. Um, you know, there's so many factors. Uh, you know, if you, if your water's released before you start having surges, you can't have a water birth, you know, you may not be able to have a home birth, you know, so there are pros and cons to publicly funded, which is free and that's great for, and it makes it more available for m more people. Um, but you can quite easily get risked out. So there's some issues with that as well. And then you look at um, private midwifery and home birth and, you know, that professional friends throughout the whole journey. I, I, I will be your midwife. It won't be somebody else uh, in case, you know, like if in a, in a publicly funded home birth, you might have a group of a couple um, and this might be your midwife, but this might be your midwife. If you choose me, I'm your midwife for the whole time, you know, the whole journey. So, um, but cost is a factor, right? Cost is something that's an issue. But what I would recommend all people do is if you're planning on having a baby, save your pennies up because we prepare for, you know, a wedding, um, which is an important day of your life. But do we, do we value birth, which is something you'll remember for your entire life? I've had 85, 90 year old women talk to me when they find out I'm a midwife and they tell me about their birth yes. like it was yesterday. So I think birth is, arguably as important or more <laughs> important. So I would say if you can plan ahead and you are one of these really super organized people that, you know, do preconception and plan stuff, I would say save your pennies up to find a midwife um, for all of those benefits that we talked about. Um, uh, I would also say talk to a midwife, meet the private midwives in your area and see if they can do things like a payment plan um, so you can pay it off weekly. Um, so 
that that is an option for for lots of people um and for people i've had like a couple of women who valued home birth valued that relationship valued that midwifery so much that they got like a small loan out um you know for the birth itself and paid that and all the rest of it paid paid it off but you know private midwifery you get a medicare rebate for every antenatal appointment which means that you'll have less out of pocket and postnatal, you get a Medicare rebate that's higher because you're looking after mum and baby. So if you've reached your Medicare threshold, you get twice as much. So I would say don't rule it out. I would say talk to a midwife, work out a payment plan. We don't want to say no to people. We want to, we want all people to get as, as the greatest experience that they can. But I'm also one woman. I'm one midwife. I can only look after three or four women a month, and that's for safety purposes. I can't look after 10 people because you know, how will I have that known relationship? How do I ensure if I'm the only midwife that's looking after them that I can be at their births and really give them all that time? So I would say meet with your midwives, talk to them about it, don't rule it out. But yeah, it's thousands of dollars and you can get about $1,500 back. Um, so if you aim for about 5000 maybe 6000 you'll get about 1500 back for full, full care. So three and a half, four over a year and a half. Yeah. It's worth it. It is worth every single cent. And, you know, I I think mine probably was around about that $4,000 mark. Um, yeah. My midwife actually wasn't Medicare eligible, so I couldn't claim back from what I was aware. Um, yeah. but, but I didn't care because, for me, that was the experience that I wanted to have and it it – I would – personally, this is just me, I prefer to put – the investment into my experience with my birth rather than buying all of the material things, you know, the expensive cot or pram and things like that. And that, that was something that I, I definitely for me valued was, was the experience. And yeah, I will talk about and remember, you're right. We do. We remember our birth. Um, and yeah, that's, it's just a shame that, you know, that is maybe why a lot of people don't. Um, but you're right, plan. Like you said, you plan for your wedding, you'd save up, save up for your wedding, save up for your birth. Yeah, yeah and, and write, to the, write to your politicians and say, I want um, home birth to be an option for all women. You know, we can make change as well. In the UK, they give, you know, $9,000 uh, to a woman to decide about what she wants in her pregnancy, yeah. you know? Yeah, why, why don't we give? Why don't we do that for women here, so that they can make the choices? And if you want a cesarean section with a private obstetrician, that's that's totally a viable choice as well. But home birth isn't, so mm -hmm. we need to make changes with that. Yeah. So I also had a question saying, if you have a home birth, do you have to have a water birth? <laughs> we make you be mermaids. No. Uh. no. I have got a shirt that says um, water birth isn't just for mermaids, but um, no, you don't have to do anything you don't want to do. That's the beauty of it. I will never make a person uh, do anything they don't want to do. In fact, I'm probably the opposite and people get frustrated. Hey, what do you think? I'm like, what do you feel? <laughs> you know? So, you know, we do have a high water birth rate. Um, and when you watch a lot of birth videos, a lot of them you see them on in water and then that makes us all think that that's the way it has to be. But, you know, I might have a 70%, maybe 80% water birth rate, but they have a pool. They can use it if they want to. They can get out if they want to. And, um, yeah, the land, land births at home are just as good. Um, yeah. But you have that option, yeah. So um, I just look at waterproofing people's homes and that's their bed, that's their floor, that's their 
they're, they're cool and we don't leave your place like a birth has occurred there. You, you look around in the next day when you go and visit people and they're like, you had a baby just here. <laughs> um, so yeah, we don't leave it a bomb site or anything either. So yeah, water, land, whatever you want, shower, you know, bed, whatever. That's great. Amazing. Um, another question that I've got from a mum who is 38. She says, does my age class me as high risk for a home birth? <laughs> if you're in a publicly funded model, yes, it would. <laughs> that was me. Um, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, that's, that's what I was talking about with your choices, isn't it? You, um, I do have a story if you want to hear about a story, yeah. and that doesn't mean that it's right for all people. But I had a woman who I taught hypnobirthing to a good few years ago now, and they were German scientists. So they were evidence-based to the max. <laughs> Um, and that I finished teaching them, I think about 32, 33 weeks and they were in a really good place. Um, but you know, she was 40, um, and she was like the fittest person I'd probably ever met. Um, and she was a first time mum, and they were working with a hospital who were putting pressure on her to have an induction of labor at 37 weeks. Um, and so I could see that kind of joy and that sense of positivity really um, ebbing away from her as the weeks went on. So 37 weeks, she'd said, no, I think I'm okay. I think baby's moving beautifully. I'm happy to not. 38 weeks, 39 weeks, 40 weeks. And then as most first time parents, you have babies around 41 weeks, but not, not all, but that's when she was, you know, um, she was still pregnant at 41 weeks, really normal, right? Um, she asked me to do a fear release um, because finally she had agreed and conceded to having an induction of labor purely based on her age. No other factors were involved, but the hospital felt this woman is a, a very old person. <laughs> um, so I went to her home the day that she was going to have an induction that evening and I saw how upset she was. I saw how this wasn't what she wanted. And I said to her, when we offer an intervention, it's an offering of an intervention. And we have to really think about, you know, the language we use around this. You still have the same amount of choices today as you had at 35 weeks. Nothing has changed about this. You are a grown woman. You're a knowledgeable woman. She'd done the research. She'd read all this German research about inductions of labor based on advanced maternal age, which is what we call it after 35 years of age. I'm now an advanced maternal age. That's me too. I'm 35 and I heard I'd be, so they don't use the word geriatric anymore because that's what I <laughs> Gosh, I hope not. No, no, it's advanced maternal age. But, you know, based on that, like she was fitter than I am. And there was no reason, but we look at people like they are a label. We label them with a risk factor, which then gives them less choices. And then we create this self-fulfilling prophecy. So I wanted to just give her that information. You have a much, as much choice as it's an offering of an intervention. So you could actually consider whether you wanted to do that today or if it doesn't feel right today, do it tomorrow or not do it at all. What does your, what does your intuition tell you? What, how is your baby going? What is it you want from this? I said jokingly, um, you could even have a home birth. Like you have all of these choices. So then I did the fear release and I left her sleeping and then I went away. and. Um, then in true efficient German style, <laughs> uh, her husband called me and said, so are you happy to do a home birth? And I'm like, um, that is not what we were talking about here. 
Um, and they said, no, I think that feels like the right thing to do. Um, so they cancelled the induction of labour. Um, they asked me to, to be their midwife. And I said, okay. And I feel we did all the documentation. We talked about, you know, discussing, consulting, referring the role of the midwife and, and home birth consent and things like that. She went into labour the next day. And the only thing that was stopping her from going into spontaneous labor was the stress that she was under because of her age. And then she had a baby at 2.22 in the afternoon with no problems and no issues. And I wrote to the hospital after that. I said, this woman of 40 years of age <laughs> who had already had the consultations with the obstetric team, um, you know, in that backup hospital, she had a beautiful, you know, birth today and she had a land birth, not a water birth. <laughs> um, and so, you know, we are not necessarily what, you know, just because you have a label doesn't mean you're going to end up with a high risk outcome unless we create that. Yeah. Know, know your choices, know the risk and you, it's, and think about risk as a chance. So because of this age, I have a chance of, mm. you know, and get the real, if you get the real numbers, then you can make the best decisions rather than, you know, you might explode or your placenta might fail. You know, all these language that we use about um, around people at the end of their pregnancy when they're most vulnerable. It seems pretty and I And that certainly resonates for me. I was 42 plus three, no, four days when I went into induction with my first. And mm. the pressure was unbelievable. You know, 38, first time mom, you know, you have to have this baby at 39 weeks. You know, it was incredible pressure where you just wanted to hide away. And I literally did that until 42 weeks when they called me and they said, you don't have a choice now, you do have to come in. Mm. Yeah. And, and you, you always have a choice. You always have a choice. And you are the person that lives with this forever. You're the person that lives with your choices and they don't, they won't remember you. I don't remember any of the people that I looked after when I worked in a hospital setting, not a single one of them. No, sad, isn't it? Mm. Yeah. Are you finding that more women who have had a previous cesarean now are also wanting to do a home birth for their second or even third, like otherwise known as a VBAC, a vaginal birth after cesarean? Yeah, and at home it's called HBAC home birth after cesarean so yes. <laughs> yeah, I mean, VBAC is uh, um, it, it makes sense why people would want to consider you know having a private midwife um, and having a home birth after they've had a cesarean section especially for a reason like a breech baby which this baby might this second baby may have nothing nothing like that so you know and if we've had an induction of labor you just don't have the information about would I have had a you know, different birth. You just don't have that information. So a lot of people are left with if onlys or what ifs or, and that's the thing that's hard to kind of live with. So when you're looking at subsequent births after a cesarean section, people want to look at evidence-based choices. And, you know, when we're looking at the, the rate of um, uterine rupture after one cesarean section, it's the same as a first time mum very similar rates so we have to stop making it into this big scary thing we have to look at the actual numbers you have to look at the actual research and we have to talk to women and trust them um, that they have their best interests at heart and they have their baby's best interests at heart and if we do that as healthcare professionals working in partnership with them 
instead of going, I need to make this decision because I'm worried about being sued or um, I can't fully trust that they are going to take this decision on board. I think women, we don't give them enough credit. So yeah, a lot of people choose VBACs for home and lots of midwives will do that, but some midwives won't because it is a risk factor. They do need to have consultations with the obstetric team and that's not an unreasonable thing to do either. So, um, you know, it's, 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 it's a viable choice for lots of midwives and lots of women. Um, and you just, I would say, book in to have a consultation with a private midwife to talk to them about your previous birth as well. We have that capacity to debrief, look at why things occurred. You know, we may not have been there, but we can look at the notes and you can get those and access those to, to work through. Okay. Well, thank you for answering that. But another question that um, has come up as well is, is are any appointments shared with the hospital and you, and if you do need to be transferred, but you've never been to a hospital, kind of what happens in that case? Are you able to support them in the hospital? Or is, is it once, if you go into a hospital setting, then they have to be supported by the, the midwives within the hospital? Yeah, that's a really good question. And I think the answer varies between midwives. So I'm a, I'm an, a Medicare eligible and endorsed midwife because I've done all that additional training. And um, so I can provide care throughout the whole continuum. So any antenatal care, I can write um, a referral to the hospital. Um, I can do bloods. Uh, ultrasounds and I can re review all of those and talk to women about that. I can also provide intrapartum care and emergency measures and all postnatal care. So I could do all of those things. Um, I think it's good to have communication and collaboration with your backup hospital. So um, we are required to communicate with them and collaborate with them. So what, what I ask the women that I look after to do is have one uh, booking in appointment at the hospital so they can take a full history, create that record, and then I will share information with that hospital throughout the pregnancy. So any as, as I'm looking at things, you know, these are the bloods, all is normal. This is uh, low iron in this situation, so we've started this. You know, ultrasound looks good, you know, placenta's this, you know. So share that with that, that hospital so that you've got good, clear communication in case of that low rate of transfer but you know that it's not impossible that you wouldn't uh transfer so and and that's okay as well women can change their mind in labor and go and have a hospital birth and i can come in with you so my midwifery is i don't have credentialing or visitation rights i've chosen not to do that and that's just because i work for the woman and i only have to think about evidence if, if i'm credentialed at a hospital um, I'm saying that I'm agreeing to the terms that that hospital, so I'm working within that hospital um, and I'm an independent midwife. So that's, I don't do credentialing or visitation. Some hospitals have been so good with us when we transfer in, I'm still there and doing this, the really important midwifery for me, um, advocating, negotiating, communicating, and they know that I'm a midwife. They know that I'm this woman's midwife. They know we have that relationship. And I've never had a, a really difficult transfer in. I've always had welcoming staff, welcoming midwives, welcoming um, obstetric and pediatric staff. And they know you're in there for a reason because that's why you're in there, right? Um, so uh, lots of the times that we transfer, it wouldn't be for an emergency. It might be because we need that additional support, you know, um, 
but yeah, so I don't have credentialing in hospitals, but some midwives do. So there are some midwifery groups that have, you know, have credentialing at certain hospitals. So Logan currently doesn't have anybody there. Gold Coast does, the Royal does, Caboolture does, Redcliffe does, MARTA doesn't, um, Ipswich does. Uh, so there's, there's different pockets of hospitals that have credentialed midwives and different midwives will choose to do that or not. And um, yeah, so... Yeah. That's great to know. So if a woman is wanting a home birth, how, like, what would you recommend they do to prepare and how early will they need to contact a midwife <laughs> like you to book in? Because I'm pretty much like as soon as you pee on that stick, you, like, call them so you have that midwife secured. It's pretty bad, isn't it? Um, I, a lot of the time, might be the first person that a woman tells or I might be the second after their partner. Um, so, yeah, I have people talk to, to, to me preconceptually, especially if I've been their midwife before. They're like, Mayette, are you still going to be here next December? And I'm like, I think I'm going to take December off. And they go, okay, well, we'll do it in November then. I'm like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love it. <laughs> but that's real planning, isn't it? But um, no, look, I think you can talk to people. Like I'm a midwife that will happily meet with people before they've conceived to see if we're the right fit for each other. And I think having that trust and that relationship, you need to pick the right midwife for you. And every midwife's different and you're different, you know. Um, every woman has different needs. So meet with them. See if there's a good fit. Ask them the tricky questions. I love, I love you coming with all your, you know, are you happy if I just receive my own baby? Of course. Yes. And do I have to have a water birth? No, you don't, you know, like whatever, whatever it is for them, you know, or I had this happen in the labor, you know, like people talking about, oh, the baby got stuck. And I'm like, mm, that's interesting. I wonder how that baby got stuck. And I wonder what they did with that when they found out this baby was stuck. Cause I've got different tools to, you know, other midwives, you know, so what would I do in that situation? You can talk through all that. So I think meet with people. Yeah, you do need to get in early because we only look after a few people. I look after three people. So um, there's a lot more people that want home births out there than three women in Brisbane. So um, yeah, meet with people, see if they're the right fit, ask them the tricky questions. Um, and I would say don't leave it till you're 20 weeks because that, that, that would be trickier. So if you want to find a midwife, there's in Queensland, you can look up the home birth uh, Queensland website and there's the big list and the big list has a list of doulas um, and they have a list of midwives. So midwives are for home birth, um, doulas are for unassisted or free birth, which means you don't have a healthcare professional or a medical professional there. So you have a list of doulas that are on there. You have a list of midwives on there and at a home birth, a planned home birth, we have two midwives. So I would say, look those, look that up, um, give people a call, book in, see if you can, if you're a good fit and, and go from there. Amazing. Yeah, that, really amazing. It has been so beautiful speaking yeah. to you, but honestly, speak to you all day about birth um so how could if anyone in queensland brisbane gold coast or how, how far do you cover how could they how could they contact you yeah um so look i've been known to travel quite away but uh uh, I travel to the Gold Coast on occasions. I have gone to Noosa, but I nearly died on the way home. I was so tired. So I try not to go to Noosa anymore. So kind of North Brisbane, you know, down to the Gold Coast. Um, and one of our midwives lives between um, Ipswich and Toowoomba. So we 
you know, she will definitely travel out that way as well. So um, I guess you can look on our Facebook page and on our Instagram. Um, we are It Takes a Village Midwifery because um, it takes a village. Um, and we also have a website as well, which, which is the same, the same thing. So, yeah. We'll put all of your contact details in the yeah. show notes. But thank you thank you so much for clearing well not clearing i guess just just being open to discussing um as a as a private practicing midwife an experienced midwife who attends home births regularly uh just you know sharing this information so more more women and partners and families can just really understand what their options are so thank you so much for joining us today thank you So great to see you guys. Thank you for having me. Thanks, everybody. We hope this episode has helped you on your own journey. We would love it if you can subscribe and leave a review and help us to spread the word of positive pregnancy and birth. We would like to personally invite you to join our Nurture Hub online community where you can connect with other women and be mentored by us one-on-one in one of our future episodes. It's so important to feel connected and nurtured through this time and we would love to support you. Thanks Thanks for listening. listening.